motorcycles have really always been a part of my life, but I'm kind of a late bloomer as far as actually riding. Uh, my dad was very much against motorcycles, um, and so I was never allowed to to have one, especially as a kid, you know, dreaming of having a mini bike or, or something along those lines. And uh, that was unfortunate. So I just always had kind of had in the back of my mind when I was old enough and on my own and paying my own way, first thing I was going to do was buy a Harley Davidson. Uh, so my name is Bill Redensel. I'm the lead for museum collections at the Harley-Davidson Museum in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, and uh, work at the Harley-Davidson Archives. I was raised on a pretty steady diet of, uh, you know, 1970s motorcycle movies. When I was a kid, they were on TV all the time, like, you know, Little Foss and Big Halsey, uh, CC and Company with Joe Namath and and, uh, of course, Saturday afternoons, you know, kind of being force-fed Evil Knievel, jumping something different every every uh, Saturday afternoon on Wide World of Sports to kind of uh, add the catalyst to that. Uh, I'm the baby of the family, so my brothers and sister are all a lot older than I am. Um, my parents are kind of World War II era uh, people, and uh, so my brother, uh, my oldest brother, was in college in the early 70s, and he had a 1972 Harley-Davidson FX Superglide and rode with a bunch of guys. And uh, so right after college, he kind of lived in Chicago, and he and the guys would ride up uh, to visit, you know, mom and dad on the weekend, and we'd have all these motorcycles in our driveway. And uh, the one that really I was, I'll never forget, he had a buddy named G, and he had a white sportster chopper with like a 10 over springer on it and it was just you know as being like a seven-year-old kid it was it was the greatest thing on earth and then having them pop you on the seat of that and let you sit on that 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 you know that's it if that doesn't do it for you uh, nothing will i'm part of a three-generation automobile dealership. My grandfather started it in the 20s, and then my dad came there in the 50s, uh, and then my brother in the mid-70s, and then I came in the... I was worked there as a kid, but came there full-time in the, in the early 90s. So I was, I was around cool cars, and, and my dad built airplanes, so I was always involved with that and helping him. And so I was into, you know, mechanical things. And... Um, you know, started as a mechanic at the dealership in high school. And then when I really, after college, it came back and, and took over with my brother and bought my first Harley Davidson and restored that. And that was really the beginning of it. I, I had a really good friend um, who had a 1944 knucklehead and would go to swap meets with him when I was looking for parts for the Sportster and uh, just got the bug for old, Harley Davidson's the, the you know there's a lot to be said about the timelessness of the look of them and I love all great timeless things you know like a 1936 Cord or a 32 Duesenberg or, you know a, the Winnie Mae you know great airplanes great cars great motorcycles and um, I'd restored cars and everything and motorcycles were just so great because they took up less space you know you could put them in a 
bead blast cabinet. You could do all the things. They weren't rusty like uh, as much as cars were, you know, at least Wisconsin cars. So I just, uh, I really got that that bug for uh, antiques and got my first antique in, I believe it was about 98 and restored that all in, you know, chips were all in. And uh, so I started a business machining and manufacturing parts because um, there's a lot of parts I couldn't get. So I started uh, kind of remanufacturing uh, obsolete parts and selling them to people all over the world. And uh, that's what really, you know, got me entrenched pretty deep in it. Literally the week after the 100th anniversary, which I was at, um, came home and I was looking through a magazine. Um, it's still out there today. It's called Walnick's Classic Cycle Trader, and it's where people buy and sell um, old motorcycles. And there was an ad in there, and it said, Wanted, Motorcycle Restorer First Shift, and uh, showed it to my wife. Wasn't looking for a job, was completely happy where I was at, and uh, she was happy with her family business. But, you know, when we would sit at swap meets, me and my buddies, we'd always laugh, you know, like, if you won the lottery, what would you do? And um, I'd, uh, my joke always was, well, somebody has to restore motorcycles at Harley, don't they? And never even thinking it was an actual real job. And uh, so I, I showed it to my wife. She says, you got to put a resume in. So I, I put my resume in, never even thinking I'd get a phone call. Had a, had a couple of phone interviews and didn't hear anything. And finally, in November, they called me and said, come on down. We want to meet you. And had an interview. And I didn't think it actually went so well. Um, but uh, got home and uh, didn't hear anything for another month or so. And they called me up and they said, do you want to come to work for Harley Davidson? And uh, they said, you got to let us know right now. And I said, I'm on my lunch break. You know, I got to at least talk it over with my wife. So they gave me till eight o'clock the next morning. And I talked over with my parents and, and, and my wife. And uh, here we are 17 years later, still doing the same job that I came there to do you know basically it's it's grown there were three of us when I started and we're down to uh, just me now um, we needed more then because we were really getting the collection prepared for the museum that you know they knew it was inevitable at that time my job's changed obviously with the museum but in a nutshell you know I, I guess I'm the caretaker of the company's historic bike collection at this point in time there's been people before me there'll be people after me One thing, actually the kind of main really great thing about the Harley-Davidson historic vehicle collection and their archival collection, which a lot of people don't realize is, you know, most of it is what I always call brand new, meaning they saved it from the beginning. So when you come to the museum and you see our 1911 single that's right there as you walk in the front gate, um, that was a brand new bike taken off the assembly line, put in their collection in 1911 and it's remained there ever since it's original paint it's original plating um and and that's really really unique in corporate archives that you know a company that early on had the foresight to save this you know amazing amount of uh, machines let alone you know the posters and all the photographic negatives and pins and watches and marketing literature and you know, everything they've made in multiple languages it's it's a it's a stunning collection but the motorcycle collection itself is second to none so with over 500 motorcycles you know in the collection it's kind of an ongoing process to make sure that they're 
all in the best condition they can possibly be. Uh, everything's stabilized. You know, for years, they moved the collection around. Our initial job was to get them back, kind of like assess what we have, and then begin the process of conservation, which is, in a nutshell, take them apart, clean every piece, and put it back together again. Robert Andre said, an artist without an imagination is a mechanic. And uh, so I, uh, I like to consider what I do a bit of an art, you know, trying to resurrect something and make it, you know, literally what it once was or trying to keep it what it once was for as long as possible. And there's science to it because um, you're dealing with all these different materials that are affected by uh, temperature and humidity and moisture and pestilence and all these different things in different ways. Uh, iron likes things really dry, but rubber likes things really wet. So just the environment that we store them in, trying to find a happy medium there, you know, is part of the job. So we're always monitoring and measuring what temperature and what humidity is. And uh, we've got incredible HVAC at the museum. And, uh, so there's all kinds of stuff like that. And the other thing what a lot of people don't realize is, you know, this is a working collection. We use it to support the company in a lot of different ways. We do part fitment for service parts. If, uh, you know, maybe we get a different vendor that's making a brake line, you know, being that we make parts, service parts, replacement parts that go way back in our catalog, um, you know, we have the ability to take a, you know, maybe a new vendor gives us a prototype piece and and we'll be able to fit it on several models. Um, you know, for instance, our standard solo seat, uh, which you can see on a 1925 Harley J or a 1941 FL or on a 2009 Crossbones, is the same exact seat pan made by the same company, uh, made it in 1925, and they make it for us today. And you can go buy that part at a dealer. If their die wears out that stamps that pan and they make a new one, they'll bring us uh, a kind of a test pan and we'll fit it on a, a 1925 and a 1941 and a, and a 2009 crossbones. And if it fits, we're good to go. And uh, if it doesn't, we go back to the drawing board and make a different one and make changes. So we don't go produce 10,000 pieces of something that you know, won't work. You know, you're going to talk the talk, you walk the walk and, um, I like to uh, I like to walk the walk. I mean, um, these machines are fantastic, and I love to take something that's old and something that someone says like, "Oh my gosh, that should be in a haul that to the junkyard and make it look like new again." And that's a really um, and and even more so. One aspect I can't do at my Harley Davidson job is, you know, we don't have bikes that run. Um, so one really neat thing is to actually take something that is, you know, a solidly froze up piece of metal and, and make that live again. And, uh, so that's part of, you know, what I do at home. I love, uh, old motorcycles. I have 10 of them. I guess that's kind of a disease. I guess I, I'm really good at collecting them. I'm not good at selling them. And so, uh, I have, uh, you know, my earliest being a 1914 single which is a bike I actually rode across the country, coast to coast, in 2010. My next oldest bike is a 1915 Twin, and I rode that across the country in 2016, coast to coast. And uh, so, 
you know, I like to believe that not only do I, you know, make them live again, but, you know, we put them out on the road and or on the racetrack. Uh, my 1915, I race with a group of guys and I'm not good at it by any means, but I really love to do it. It's what I always describe as my golf uh, racing vintage board track uh, motorcycles. You know, there's a lot of people. There's a lot of golf courses in the world and a lot of people that play golf. And there's only a couple of people like, you know, Jack Nicholas or Tiger Woods. Most are guys that are out there hacking around on the weekend and, uh, you know, scoring a 120. But they do it every weekend because they love it. And that, and that's kind of where I fall on the racing. I mean, I, I watch some of the people that are, you know, out there racing today. And it's 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 uh, it's really a thrill and, and a treat to watch and see how great they are. I, I just, I know I'll never, you know, I race my whole life and I'll never master those skills, but it's, it's unique. So I, I guess maybe I get my Jones on other ways. Like I said, right. I've rode both those my early bikes across the country and that's not a lot of people in the world can say they've put 7,000 miles on Harley Davidson board trackers. that's what's so great about the museum is that it really is a reflection of motorcycling in general you know motorcycle riding isn't getting on a bike by yourself well for some people it might be but you know getting on a bike and going from point a to point b that's you know that's commuting motorcycling is is a is a social phenomenon and it has been since the beginning you know people all think that you know like oh i'm going on this motorcycle tour that it's a relatively new thing you know the Milwaukee Journal Sentinel sponsored a, uh, a a motorcycle tour of Wisconsin in 1907, um, and you know where people could get together and ride motorcycles together, and you know that's what you know people that are in motorcycle clubs or hog chapters or riding groups or you know whatever it may be, it's that social aspect where you get together and and share stories and bond and have. Uh, great experiences and share them together. And, um, you know, that for me is, you know, what really excites me about motorcycling. And and that's what's so great about the museum is it's, you know, we're not just a, we built this, we did this, aren't we a great company? It's like, you get to learn about these people that are maybe kind of unsung in American or international history. They're incredible stories all on their own. You know, I mean, you know, talking about like a Vivian Bales, think of an 18-year-old woman in the 1920s getting on a motorcycle and riding from Georgia up to Milwaukee uh, by herself. And um, she couldn't even vote at the time. And she's, you know, going to get on and do this. So, I mean, like that, that's an amazing story and, and very inspiring. And that's just one of many that are there. And that's, you know, that's, that's what makes us, you know, really a special place. How uh, riding uh, early bikes across the country came about, a guy by the name of uh, and a, a friend of mine who's no longer with us, Lonnie Isom Jr., came up to me one time, I think it was about 2008 or nine, and he said, I'm thinking about doing a ride across the country, but it's all going to be on pre-1915 motorcycles. What do you think? And I said, I think you're crazy, but I'm totally in. And uh, so I was, you know... I think it was finally January of, of that year. He came in of 2010 and he said, hey, we're going to do it. Are you in? It's 500 bucks. 
and uh, you got to have a bike and here's the rules and and so I think 70 some of us signed up 44 of us showed up to the starting line uh, in Kitty Hawk and it had never been done which was really uh, so no one knew what to expect you know subsequently they've done it every two years now but that first year there were guys that didn't make it out of the parking lot and there were guys that had perfect scores and made it all the way across the country let's just say that what what's going through your head when you're on something like you got a lot of time to think when you're going across America at 35 miles an hour it uh, and and you see you know everything because the terrain changes you know you, you might have a morning where you wake up and leave and it's 32 degrees and by the end of the day you're you know uh, in Oklahoma and it's a hundred degrees and so it was all on crazy back roads and again you know that was all uh, you know, part of it, but the end of the night when everybody's in the parking lot and they're working on their bikes and everybody's trying to help everybody get theirs going the next day so we could do it again, you know, that's the things that I'll remember. It, it, the ride, I remember certain points of it, but boy, I remember those parking lots, you know, that and everybody just, did you see that today? Did you see this? You know, and, uh, you know, just sharing the stories of the day and, it, it, there was nothing like it. And, you know, I mean, when you got to the end, we're on Santa Monica Pier, you know, the people that came out to greet us and, you know, I mean, Karen Davidson was there and gave me a big hug and we shared some champagne. And, uh, you know, it's just, uh, and, and what really made it special for me is um, our kids uh, were homeschooled um, at the time and were their whole lives. And so, they came along as part of my pit crew and uh, my wife drove the support minivan and the, the kids were there with it. And, uh, you know, we all got together and worked on the bike at the end of the day. And uh, it, it was, you know, not only did I get to do it with a bunch of great people, I got to do it with my family as well. You know, it's kind of cliche and people say it you know there's something about that feeling that when you get on and you know people try and put it into words is it freedom is it independence is it all these things when it when you boil it right down you know for me it's just fun I mean it's just like I love to have fun no matter what I'm doing I mean and to a fault I mean people will be like you know not everything's a joke you know I believe humor belongs in music I believe humor belongs in the worst possible situations that are happening and um you know because it makes things fun and that's what motorcycling really is to me it's it's kind of weird it's kind of maybe a cop-out answer but you know it's like why do people go on roller coasters because they're fun 